Phillips coming today. This is their first. All right. You may be seated. Surely glad you are here today, and it's a blessing to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. I know we are starting spring break, but I'm thankful you are here, right? I know a lot of people are traveling around, but we are blessed to have you here today. If you're a first-time visitor, in front of you, you'll find a connections card that will give us a record of your visit, but it will also give us an opportunity to know a little bit about you. If you were to have a prayer request, if you will fill it out on that card and turn it in, uh, our pastoral staff will be diligent to pray for you. So I want to say thanks to our personnel committee and some other leadership in the church who knew that this was uh, into my seventh year as your pastor, so in August will be seven years. So I had a sabbatical opportunity, and instead of being off for a whole month, I didn't think I could go a month without preaching. I said, why don't you guys just consider sending me to the Shepherds Conference in California at John MacArthur's church? So I've been there since Tuesday, back yesterday afternoon. Uh, Andy Ellett, Chris McGee, Chris McGee kind of was the spearheading force of that from going last year, and then Brother George Arrington from Alabama accompanied, went with us, and it was a delight to see, a 50, to see an 83-year-old man, John MacArthur, a warrior for the faith, with bruises on his head, with his hand broken, still standing and preaching for an hour and 20 minutes out of Zechariah. That will encourage you, all right? What a warrior of faith, and the breakout sessions and... The preaching of the word was a delight to hear, and uh, I uh, certainly feel, uh, Philip asked me how you feel, you're on cloud nine. Most of it is, you feel a little bit of that, but you also feel, Lord, our church, this is the allotment that you have given me as a pastor to feed the sheep, 
And if God lets me live to 83, I want to be preaching and leading the allotment that God has put me over. I'm not responsible for other sheep in other seats. I'm responsible for you, right, to lead. So God is certainly glorified and honored when we preach the word. A couple of things I want to say to you uh, out of the overflow. Y'all okay with that? Not two sermons, right? Uh, but just to say, uh, if you get time, would you go on and listen to a sermon by Vody Bacham on the need for reformation in worship? You need to listen to that. I want to remind you this morning that we are able to worship only because of Jesus Christ. You know, it would be highly possible for people to come in and visit our church today, and this is what Vody was talking about, and think that... The people are singing that they love, and it could be that they love a man because he was morally good, and we have something actually from ourselves to offer him. And that could be what we think of. However, Vody's point is before we sing love, we need to know something about the Trinity. Before we sing songs of love, we need to know something about who God is and why God saved us and listen to the scripture the bible says in first peter chapter 2 that we are a holy priesthood we know those verses but we're also reminded that it is because of the lord jesus christ saving us that we can bring an acceptable offering of worship so there is no acceptable worship to god unless it is through his son so just stop and think about that this morning as we continue to sing together. We, we're doing so to our God because he redeemed us. And let me read a psalm. If that's not enough to hear it from 1 Peter, listen to this one. Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities O Lord who could stand but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared I wait for the Lord my soul waits and in his word I hope my soul waits for the Lord more than watchman for the morning more than watchman for the morning O Israel hope in the Lord for with the Lord there is steadfast love and with him is plentiful redemption and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. To God be the glory. Tonight, I will be preaching on another part of biblical church leadership, and that will be deacons. So if you're at home tonight, and you're not out of town, come. Come. Okay, you need to hear this. Why? Because many of you have picked up a proposal for constitutional bylaw changes, and you need to know why. Okay, so tonight I will be preaching on biblical church leadership and it will be on deacons. This morning we get the incredible privilege, blessing of hearing another man that I greatly respect. He's not as old as John Mack, but he's getting up there, right? And uh, Brother Philip Shuford, and he's wise and loves the Lord. Uh, for, for many of you who have joined our church recently or you've been attending, visiting, you may not know Philip Shuford, but he is the... Director of Missions for the Tri-County Baptist Association, which I think includes around 58 
55 churches in our association. And I went to a shepherd's conference, and I feel that Philip Shuford is a shepherd to all the shepherds in those 55 churches. So he's going to be bringing the word. Would you pray that God would speak to your heart through the word and would God would use him mightily? Amen. Great God, we come before you and know that we can be heard from you because of Jesus. Our access, our Lord, your advocacy on our behalf is the reason that we have the access. Lord, what you did for us, Lord, in giving us your righteousness, has given us access, Lord God, that you would hear us as your people. Father, as we continue to lift our voices to worship you in song, Lord, let it be from a heart of affections that have been moved toward you because we have an understanding in our minds of what you've done to give us this access. Lord, truly, there, there is no acceptable worship apart from Jesus, apart from his righteousness. And Lord, we thank you that you have called us before you as an audience to worship the true King of kings and Lord of lords. And Lord, help us lift our voices, uh, Lord, out of an abundance of joy and blessing because you've redeemed us out of all the peoples of the world. God, help us uh, to lift our voices to you. And Father, may the gospel have free course. May you use the preaching of the word, which is the only thing you use. Would you use the preaching of the word to effect change in all of us as we listen, uh, as your spirit superintends the reading, and as he works in our hearts to conform us to your image, Lord Jesus. May we be receptive. Maybe we be quick to obey. May our faith be fortified in you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. The choir and orchestra would like to share a song with you that sort of goes on the heels of our pastor's prayer. If there is ever a reason to be joyful, to be glad, to rejoice, it's because of what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us on that cross. And we're going to be celebrating that on Palm Sunday, Easter Sunday. By the way, we've got some invite cards we want you to take. Invite the whole community. We've got a couple of services we're planning, so we've got plenty of room. And uh, we have such an opportunity to, to rejoice uh, in what God has done for us. So we pray that the choir and orchestra would just uh, inspire you to do just that today. Fortress. Praise him, oh, praise him. Holy is he, merciful and righteous. When the 
the battles raging. Praise him, oh praise him. The Lord will strengthen all those who praise him. Praise him, oh praise him. He is the rock of my salvation. Praise him, oh praise him. Every voice in every nation. Praise him, oh praise him. mountains and the valleys ring. I will rejoice till the depths of my soul can sing. God reigns, let the earth proclaim, lift high his name. Till the mountains shout back the same, I will rejoice. Praise him, oh praise him. about his amazing love. Let's sing it together. Here's where our joy comes from. We're forgiven. I'm
my King. You. we just said would be true of this next part of our worship service, that the part where we uh, receive offering and tithes, and uh, Lord, we pray that we would be found faithful in this area of finances because, as the Word says, it's not ours in the first place, it's what you've blessed us with, and so, Lord, we're giving back to you uh, what you've asked, and we do it gladly, we do it joyfully, we do it obediently, and we just uh, I personally, and, and I know all the staff and, and pastors and everybody who serves here, just give you all praise and glory for such a generous church. Uh, Lord, we just give you all praise and we pray that may that tribe increase uh, so that more ministries can be fulfilled. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Well, you ready for the second sermon of the day? <laughs> Just poking, brother. It's an honor to be here today. Thank you, Pastor, for giving me the privilege of bringing the word to my home church. Um, and I bring you greetings from the 54 other sister congregations of the Tri-County Baptist Association, uh, who this very hour, the vast majority of them, are doing exactly what we're doing, and it's great to be here today uh, representing them and um, so much appreciate our pastor and um, brother David for his worship ministry. Thank you worship ministry for what you've just done. Uh, a few weeks ago I got a group of worship pastors from our association together for lunch and just to talk and I was just kind of a fly on the wall and one of the things that one of the guys said was, he's talking about his job as a worship pastor, he said my job is to create a space where people can worship. And I appreciate Brother David for doing that and worship ministry for doing that for us today. Um, so Brother Phillips come back from uh, the mountaintop. And so glad that uh, you're able to do that, brother. And it's great for a church to allow their pastor to get away and to refresh and uh, uh, revive. And uh, the topic of uh, revival is what I feel led to uh, uh, share with you um, today. The uh, title of the message is An Urgent Need. 
We'll be in uh, Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, and we'll read that in just just a bit. But um, if you could go to the next slide. Um, Some of you may have heard, uh, read in the news, of um, a uh, series of meetings that's taken place in a college in Kentucky, Asbury uh, University, uh, for two and a half weeks uh, in February. Uh, Over 50,000 people, they think gathered there at uh, Asbury for what the university does not call revival, but for an outpouring. Um, uh, I understand that uh, students from, other, from more than 260 colleges and universities, many of them drawn by social media posts, were there to experience what was happening. I was not there. I can't comment. I really I can't make a judgment of what all was happening there, but what the phenomenon of what's just happened in Asbury tells me that there is a thirst among many believers for a new touch from the Lord that some would call uh, revival. So if you do the next slide. And so that's why I've got um, uh, uh, revival, but then the question mark, revival, and what is it? And do the next slide, if you would, please. Uh, when, when some of us hear the word revival... This is what we think about. Uh, we think about a meeting where people would come forward and they're kind of falling out and, and a great emotional kind of an outpouring. And other folks think about times from the 50s when the, uh, the, the aisles there were, were scattered with sawdust. And, uh, and uh, to walk the sawdust trail was uh, someone who uh, responded to the invitation. And so that's where the whole sawdust trail thing Uh, comes from. Uh, What I'd like to talk about today when I feel led of the Lord to to share with you today is what I believe the scripture teaches about true revival. Not saying that what's happening is not true revival. I was like I say I was not there and God's the judge. But I do know what the scripture says says is what is true revival. If you do the next slide please. Uh, I did some research and looked in the Looked, uh, looked in the dictionary of what the dictionary says revival is, and, and I pulled some of the, the definitions out for, to, uh, to share with you today. Revival can be an improvement in the condition or strength of something. Well, that's good. Or a period in which something becomes popular again after a long period of time. For example, a revival of bell-bottom jeans. Lord, Lord forgive us and help us. Some some of younger people here say, "What's a bell-bottom jean?" You don't want to know. Trust me. Uh, Webster's uh, 1828 dictionary. Uh, one of uh, his definitions for revival is a renewed and more active attention to religion, oh, an awakening of men to their spiritual concerns. Now, D. Martin, uh, Doctor Martin Lloyd Jones, respected a Welsh uh, preacher, pastor. Uh, said this, revival is a work of the Holy Spirit wherein he moves amongst God's people and, be- and unbelievers. And Charles Spurgeon, the great prince of preachers in the, in the 19th century, said this, revival begins by Christians getting right first and then spills over into the world. The, the, the next slide, please. We're going to look this morning at Isaiah chapter 6, verses um, uh, one through one through eight, and we're going to see what happened when one man 
experienced a special touch from God, a personal revival, and how it changed his life, and by extension, actually how it changed his nation. And I believe today, it's the opinion of this preacher, that, uh, that we need the same kind of special touch from the Lord. So if you would open your Bibles with me, please, to Isaiah chapter 6, uh, verses 1 through 8. Uh, I've got the New King James translation. This is the ESV. They're very similar. I'll read out of New King James. You follow along in your Bible or what's on the, what's on the screen. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. And also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And then I said, here am I, send me. That's God's word. Now let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of being in your house. We come to this place from our homes and our jobs and our hobbies and this thing and that thing. And our minds are full of this thing and that thing. As we come here today, we too, like Isaiah, are on holy ground because this is where your people gather to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The whole earth is full of your glory, as we've just read. Father, my prayer is you will use me to speak your word to your people. You know every individual heart and need here. You know the pain, you know the questions, you know the sin, you know the joy that surrounds us in this place. May your divine and perfect word go out into each heart and meet us at our point of need. And may we, like Isaiah, leave this place different because we've seen you in a new and special way. 
So I do pray for the one that's here today who's struggling. Speak to them. The one who's hurting, speak to them. The one who's fearful, speak to them. The one who is looking for a way, speak to them. Lord, speak to your people today. And we'll give you all the praise and all the glory because it's you who have done this. Without you, Lord Jesus, you said we can do nothing. And we lean on you today and we ask this in his name. Amen. Verse 1 of chapter 6 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. Here's what I want us to see today. You can go to the next slide, if you would, please. The next slide. Here we go. Uh, there's four things I want us to see that I find in this passage of Scripture that happened to Isaiah that I believe, if you're here today and you believe that you need a special touch from the Lord, or if we would like to see a special touch from the Lord in this place or in our community, there are four things that happened to Isaiah that I think we need to pay attention to today. The first thing we need to do, we need to look up. In other words, we need to see God for who he is. And that's what Isaiah did that day. I don't know exactly what Isaiah was doing on that day that he was uh, miraculously transported to the throne room of God. Maybe he was at home, maybe he was at work, maybe he was walking down the street, but, but, but in one instant, there he was in the presence of God in God's throne room. And he described it this way, and Isaiah, he doesn't explain it, he just describes it, because he can't explain it, because it's nothing he's ever seen before. So he gives us kind of a play-by-play of what he saw, and what he heard, and what he felt. And he says this, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Understand that the, that, the, that the throne room of heaven is described in terms of a temple as a place of worship. And it says, above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And the one cried to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. Folks, the first thing we need to see here, the first thing he says is, 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 is that the king, King Uzziah, had died. But the second thing we notice here is that God had not. Beloved, whatever the crisis, whatever the problem, whatever the depths, no matter how deep the shadow, God is alive and on his throne. God is our anchor. He's our strong tower. He's the center. He's our light in the darkness. The king had died, but God had not. And here's the third thing we see about God. And we see this about God through the song that the angels sang in heaven. The call of seraphim. The word seraphim in the original language of the Old Testament Hebrew literally means the burning ones. Above the throne of God were angelic creatures, and they, they, they appeared to Isaiah as if they were on fire. And they sang the song of heaven. And the song that they sang was holy, holy, holy. In the original language of the Old Testament Hebrew, the, 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 the word holy is, is kadosh. So here's what Isaiah heard, kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. Almost like a wind blowing through the heavenly throne room that encircled Isaiah as he heard the words and he felt the words of God's holiness. And here's what Isaiah learned about God. 
And by the way, Isaiah knew about God. But he never seen him. He never experienced him in this way. And what he learned that day was this. Was that God is holy. Totally holy. <coughs> Excuse me. Totally pure. Totally without spot. Completely free of mistakes. Completely free of error. Perfect. Totally. Morally pure. Folks, you know, we're so comfortable today in our daily lives of being around sin and living around sinful people and moral mistakes being a part of who we are that uh, sometimes we get comfortable with that and make excuses for that. We'll say things like, well, at least I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Excuse me. And because we live that way, it's impossible for us to really understand what God's holiness truly is and how pure he is. That's what it means to be holy. And that day in God's throne room, Isaiah got a new awareness of who God is. Holy, great, and worthy of worship. It got into his bones. It got into his heart. So the first thing we need to do that, that happened to Isaiah and that we need to do too if we want to experience a true biblical revival in our life, we need to look up and we need to see God for who he truly is. And then the second thing, we need to look in. We need to see ourselves. We need to see ourselves for who we really are. You see, Isaiah experienced God. He saw God. And for the first time by doing so, he saw himself for who he was. He was a sinner. And it scared him to death. Um, Some of you may know that my lovely wife in Venezuela was trained as a dentist. And um, uh, now she teaches at SBU, but uh, in her early life she was trained as a dentist. And that's uh, kind of God's joke on her because uh, I got terrible teeth. And um, uh, in fact, when I was younger, I spent a lot of time in the dentist chair. And uh, there are dentists here today. I love you. Um, but, uh, uh, you, know, you know what they do. You know, you sit back in the chair, make sure you're nice and comfortable, turn the big bright light on. Then they say, open up. And uh, then they take this instrument, a little, it's a, it's, a, it's a pointy thing that they call an explorer. I would consider it to be an instrument of torture, but they call it an explorer. And you know what they do? You've been there. They go poking around until until you flinch. And when you flinch, they found something. They found decay or they found some kind of a problem. Isn't that what happens? Well, you know what? Um, That day um, in the throne room of God, God took that his holy explorer. And Isaiah opened wide and God started poking around and Isaiah flinched. You know, we, we would like to just kind of blow those things off again. You know, it's kind of normal. Uh, everybody does it. Uh, it's not, nothing unusual, but God doesn't see our sin that way. And in that day, Isaiah couldn't see his sin in that way because for the first time in his life he saw himself how he was morally for who he really was and that leads us to another thing that we find in this in this passage of scripture that not not only did Isaiah 
recognized his fault. He confessed it to God. This is what he said. Let me read it again. In verse, uh, in verse 5, he said, So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah basically says, I got a dirty mouth, and I'm surrounded by people with dirty mouths. That's how he put it. Unclean lips. Well, dear brothers and sisters, dear Christian people of First Baptist Church Ozark, how about us? Do we always tell the truth? Do we ever say anything bad about anyone else? Do we ever use four-letter words? We're not here. The book of James says the tongue is a fire, and we all offend in many ways. There's two common misconceptions that I find about personal sin that, that folks have. Number one, again, I've mentioned this before, is that, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so, or other people are just as bad, so what I'm doing is not that big of a deal. Or I've also heard this, you know what, me and God have got this all worked out. You ever heard that one? Saddest days of my life, uh, a lady that, that, that I knew uh, when I was uh, in, in Fort Worth in seminary, uh, she was not a believer. She was the grandmother of a friend of mine, and uh, she was she was dying, and um, and we talked to her about her relationship with the Lord. And that's what he said. I got it all worked out. Me and God got it all worked out. And um, we'd try to talk about her faith and faith in Christ, and and she would never use those terms. It just we we I kind of got I got to deal with God, and so we got it all worked out. And, and friends, dearly, I I. I I hate to say that I was by her bedside when she passed into what I fear was a Christless eternity. Because she said she had it all worked out with God. See, our standard, the people, the standard of people today is what everybody else does. And just as long as I'm better than somebody else, then I must be okay. But God's standard is this. Not other people, but himself. He said, be ye holy, for I am holy. And you know, there are a lot of other sins I guess Isaiah could have confessed. But the sin of his lips was that what stood out to him. It's a sin that God led him to see. And I guess he could have also confessed, you know, I got unclean lips, and I've also got an unclean mind that led me to say those things that I said in the first place. And just like that, there are many sins that we could confess today. And the fact that we don't confess those sins doesn't mean they're not there, but that, number one, maybe we don't see them, or number two, maybe we don't think we really need to confess them. But Isaiah that day didn't have any other option. He found himself in the presence of the holy, pure king of the universe and realized that he was, a deplorable, he was, in, a, he was in a deplorable, dangerous situation. Which is why he said, woe is me, I'm undone. Essentially what he was saying was, is that my situation is so desperate, I'm as good as dead. And it's an experience he'd never had before. An experience that changed him forever. He saw himself for who he truly was. And he named it, and he claimed it. And he said, I'm unclean. That's what happened with Isaiah. And folks, it's true revi if, if, if this, this passage describes what true revival is, 
There's a need for us, particularly God's people, to recapture who he is and his greatness and his glory and his holiness. But to also understand our need as well. So we need to look up, we need to look in, and we need to be changed. And that's the third thing I see here. We need to experience God's transforming power. And in verses 6 and 7 of Isaiah chapter 6, listen listen to what happened. It says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hands a live coal which he had taken with tongs from the altar. Now, how can anybody grab a live coal? Remember, seraphim is a burning one. Creatures of fire, angels of fire. And he grabbed a coal. And it says, and he said, Isaiah said, he took it, he took that coal and he touched my lips with it. And then he said something to me. He said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. That sealed Isaiah's life. His life was changed forever. Angel, coal, touched lips, pronouncement of forgiveness. Your sin is forgiven in an instant. He didn't have to do a thing. God, I can imagine in my sanctified imagination, God was there. And Isaiah, I suspect, was probably trying to hide in a back corner of the throne room. Of course, God knew that he was there. And, he, and, and, and Isaiah probably under his breath said, I'm a dead man. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm a sinner. and I'm, I'm in the presence of the king. And, and, and again, in my sanctified imagination, there the Lord is on the throne, snaps his finger, points to the seraphim, and points to that back corner. And the seraphim knew exactly what to do. And he knew Isaiah's need. You see, God sees sin. Sin has no place in God's presence. And folks, God always provides a way for sin to be forgiven. In our time, the only way for sin to be forgiven is not from a touch of a burning coal, but by the blood that Jesus shed on the cross freely of his own will 2,000 years ago. And when he died on that cross, God applied that sacrifice to our sins so that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord should be saved. Through Jesus Christ. That's how we're forgiven today. You can't work it off. You have to have it taken off. And that's what Jesus did and does. See, Isaiah was totally helpless. He was cowering in the corner. could do nothing about his state. And God saw him and touched him and forgave him. God had to do something. And God did it for Isaiah. And here we are. Every one of us here today, sinners before God. And God did it for us too on the cross of Jesus. Folks, this is the most dramatic scene of personal forgiveness of sin we can find in the Old Testament. It changed Isaiah forever. And you know what? It's impossible to keep living like you did before forgiveness, after being forgiven, because with forgiveness comes the cleansing. And there's no cleansing unless there's true forgiveness. I like what Martin Lord Jones said again about revival. He said, in revival you get this 
curious, strange mixture, as it were, of great conviction of sin and great joy. Great sense of the terror of the Lord and great sense of thanksgiving and praise. So there was old Isaiah, found himself in the throne room of heaven. And he experienced God in all of his greatness. And he experienced himself in all of his dirtiness and and need. And God forgave him. And not only forgave him, he told him, he says, you are forgiven. Isaiah looked up. He looked in. He was changed. And here's a beautiful thing about how the story wraps up. He looked out. Here's what it says. It says, verse 6, one of the seraphim flew to me, having his hand a live coal taken from tongs of the altar. In verse 7, he touched my mouth. Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. And it says in verse 8, the last verse of our passage today, also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, here I am. Send me. The last thing we notice in this passage of Scripture is God's invitation. God's invitation, the invitation by God to serve God. And Isaiah's response was positive. He said, I'll go. I'll do it. And folks, I want us to see the amazing change in Isaiah's life. This is one of the things that just strikes me in this passage of Scripture. I mean, what do you think happened? How did Isaiah go from, woe is me, I'm a dead man. To here I am, from hiding in a back corner to moving his way to the front of the line and saying, I'll go. What happened? <clears throat> you see, Isaiah was in a desperate state. And he realized it. God took his sin away and made Isaiah a brand new person. Two different people. From a woe is me person to a sin me person. One before forgiveness. The other after forgiveness. Isaiah had true revival in his life. So let me go back to the initial question about revival that I touched on when it began. What revival is. And ask you the question. Do we need that kind of revival? I wonder, where, where are you today? Are you a, a person of, a, 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 a woe is me person, I'm undone? Or are you a sin me person? Which would you rather be? See, Isaiah experienced revival in his soul because he saw God for who he was. He saw himself for who he was. He confessed his need to God, and God made him a new man. That I believe is revival. And folks, I believe we need revival today. In our families, in our community. I work with 55 Southern Baptist churches in Christian Tanya Stone County. The majority of churches in the United States are in decline. 
Now, culture is pushing on us. But our churches are in decline. I won't go through all the stats, but I went, I went through and looked at the statistical information from every Tri-County Baptist Association church over the past 10 years and five years. I wanted to see, Pastor, how COVID had affected our churches in, in five different ways. Worship attendance, Sunday school attendance, Sunday school Bible uh, study attendance, uh, resident membership, uh, undesignated giving and baptisms. And over the past five years, the, the COVID, I call the COVID effect, the, the majority of the churches in our Association of Churches, have seen significant decline in the worship attendance and even greater decline in attendance in Bible study. People got used to not coming to church, and then they started coming back to church, but they got used to not going to Sunday school or Bible study, and they just never got back into that, that part of it. Spurgeon said, if we want revivals, we must revive our reverence for the Word of God. And I, I fear for our churches if we're not in the Word like we need to be. So, folks, how would our lives be different if we were to see God for who He is and see ourselves for who we are? And, and if we were to say, here am I, send me. How would churches, our churches be, how would our church be different? If we were to see God in a new way and experience ourselves for our need and where we need to confess and say, here am I, send me. How would our community be different? How would Ozark be different? If you live in Ozark, the First Baptist Church of Ozark. You know, there's a community here in, in one, of our, one of our, a community in our three-county area that uh, I can drive through and you can feel the spiritual oppression. It's a community where we'd done some prayer walking and prayer driving around, and I would see on bumper stickers of people's cars that said pagan. And that, that's here in our area that I, found, that I found subsequent to that. There's a lot of Wicca influence, witchcraft in that particular community. One of the great uh, revivals that's talked about or the awakenings that's talked about from the 1800s is the layman's revival from the, from the 1850, late, later 1850s where there was, a, there was a, an awakening of spiritual fervor uh, in New York City of all places. And it's it said that, uh, that there was such a sense of the Spirit of God over the place that when, when ships would come into port, the sailors on the ship would feel that there's something going on here. What if that happened in Ozark? I love what Spurgeon wrote, and I'll read it to you. There it is there. Oh, that God would give us life. The church wants fresh revival. Oh, for the age when eyes should be strained and, and ears should be ready to receive the word of God, when men should drink in the word of life as it is indeed the very water of life which God gives to dying souls. Oh, for the age of deep feeling, the age of deep, thoroughgoing earnestness. Let us ask God for it. Let us plead with him for it. Perhaps he has the man or the men somewhere who will shake the world yet. Perhaps even now he's about to pour forth a mighty influence among men which shall make the church as wonderful in this age as it ever was in any age that has passed. God grant it for Christ's sake. 
been said, and I've heard this oftentimes, that only God can bring revival. And folks, that's true. And only God can bring salvation. And that's true. And although I can't make somebody get saved, I can pray that they will. And though I can't make and create revival, I can pray that he will. I believe that we need revival. And folks, you know where I believe revival and a fresh touch begins? It starts with the revivals in our pews. It starts with revival in our seats. It starts not with a bunch of people. It starts with one person. Are you that person? Do we need revival? Do you want to see an awakening of God's people in this church, in our church, in this community, in our nation? You want to see that? It starts with one person praying sincerely, looking up, looking in, being changed. And looking out. You know, it occurs to me that it may be someone here today who's kind of like Isaiah. Isaiah was raised in the Hebrew religious tradition. He knew, he'd heard a lot about God, but he'd never experienced him. And it may be that you're here today and you've heard a lot about God in your life, but you personally have never truly experienced him and his transforming power? Would you like to see that today in your life? Join me as we pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of serving you in this place of being here. Thank you for the story that you have given us in Isaiah chapter 6 of how one person experienced an amazing transformation. Lord, you know the need in our community, the spiritual need. You know the the spiritual darkness that is all around us. You know the needs in our schools in our workplaces. And here you have us as a shining city on a hill, faithfully proclaiming your word, your word which brings life in a community that so desperately needs to know about Jesus. Lord, my prayer today is that you will bring a new movement of your spirit among us. You said in your word, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. Lord, you humbled Isaiah. I pray that you'll humble us. And see our need and reach to you. 
and that you will give us a fresh anointing of your spirit. I pray for the one who's here today who is struggling with a secret sin. You know what it is. And as you did to Isaiah, do that to us. For those of us here today who have not so secret sins. And you know what they are and who we are. As you did to Isaiah, do to us. Help us to see it as you do. And to confess it and to turn it over to you. And receive the forgiveness that only Jesus can bring. Father, there's someone here today who is struggling with what, do, what should I do for my God? Who has heard the call. Who will go for us? Lord, may, may today be a day where they're able to say, Lord, I'm here. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll go wherever you want me to go. Just never leave me. And that's your promise. You'll never leave us or forget, forsake us. And I pray for that. Lord, it may be a young person who's here today who's heard about you all their lives. Maybe they've been raised in church. But they have never experienced you personally. And I pray that today may be the day that they hear you and they see you and they say, Lord Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. And I take you by the hand. This is our prayer. Thank you for being with us today. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite the pastor to come. He'll stand here. You may be here today. I don't know what the Lord has told you. So we're going to have an invitation. And the invitation is this, to respond as the Lord has led to you. You may need to pray with someone today. Pastor will be here honored to pray with you. I'll be honored to pray with you as well. It may be you want to just pray for revival in your own life and a fresh touch from the Lord. You know, you can respond to an invitation a lot of different ways. You can come forward, and I see that in some churches. And I see some other churches that, that I preach in. You can see the, the fingerprints on the back of the pews. People just not, are not going to be moved. But you know what? That, that, that's okay. While they're singing around you, if you need to tell the Lord something that, that, that he needs to hear from you, a confession, and let him extend his forgiveness to you, do it right there. Or if you're here today and you're just not sure about your relationship with the Lord, I invite you to come and be honored to pray with you as well. So as we sing, you respond as the Lord leads pastor. And let's stand. Let's stand together and sing. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the Testing, amen. Because I've been in the Shepherds Conference, as I look at this passage with Brother Philip preaching, I feel like it's important to note this to you. 
in Isaiah 5, 8 through 28, there are 15 or 16 woes against the people of God. And then Isaiah finds himself in the woe position, right? And for our leadership, Isaiah becomes a statesman. He becomes a preacher that God is going to commission. And the fact of the matter is, Isaiah was always at God's mercy, but he certainly understood it in this text because salvation always begins with God. There's no way to know anything about him unless God acts. And actually, Isaiah 6 is God acting first. God is initiating this in Isaiah's life. He turns the light on so that Isaiah can view himself. And then it's only then that he recognizes that quintessential part of who God is, a part of him that's not like him, right? The superlative of Hebrew, God is holy, right? So as leaders of this church, there has never been a more important time than right now for us to remember that, for us to remember that if you are a leader in this church, in many ways, especially elders, you are a statesman of the truth of the Word of God. And theologically, we need to get this right in our heads. It's up to the Lord to act. And along the lines of revival, and let me give one ending text as your pastor. Listen to what Daniel says. One of the greatest prayers in all of Scripture. O oh Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O oh my God, incline your ear to hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations. And the city that is called by your name. Listen to this. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. And then listen to what Daniel says. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not. And here's what God does always. Here's what Daniel says. Delay not for your own sake. O oh my God, because of your city, and your people that are called by your name. Folks, if God ever does anything, he does it because of his own great name's sake. And we want our God to act, glorify his name in this church. So we're entering into a season in the life of our church, which could be one of the most important seasons ever in the life of this church. So I'm asking you to pray and seek the Lord. Think about what Pastor Philip, because he is a pastor, what he said out of Isaiah 6. Couple that with Daniel 9, and we need to ask our God to act. Amen? To God be the glory. Thank you so much, Brother Philip, for the preaching of the word. And uh, we, we love Miss Elsie, too. She is a huge blessing to our church family. And uh, Andrea and Andrew, and pray for Andrea. She's about to graduate. Try to figure out where she's going to go to school. And I know we've got a lot of graduates like that. But God has been so good to our church. Amen? Please come back tonight as we'll talk about biblical church leadership preach on deacons, all right? To God be the glory. Glad you were here today. God bless Brother you. Brother David.